So if you can't see yourself holding on for the next couple of years to your business, exiting right now might be the better move. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome back to the Web Equity Show. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman. What's going on, buddy? What's up, man? We've got a fantastic episode lined up. We are talking about risk, and there's a whole lot of things going on right now. It is, and I should put a date to this, the time that we're talking. It's March 10th, and there's a lot going on in the world that uh, we thought we should chat about and how that affects you know online businesses and kind of our industry. I kind of like that we're doing these episodes now that are a little more timely. It makes it tough. You know, obviously, we're not uh, CNN, so it's not breaking news by the time that the actual recordings are released. But it's, number one, cool to be able to talk about some of the things that are going on. And we didn't get to do that in previous episodes. And we get to see if we sound totally ridiculous in a couple of weeks or, you know, if we sound smart. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. I've I've been thinking about that. Uh, Before we do that, man, let's do just a bit of listener love. We've got a five-star iTunes review. It says, value-packed, taking notes. This is from Avantoy. Thanks, Justin Ace. Seriously, value-packed show. Appreciate you. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for the show out. Let's get into the show, man. So let's set the scene. You know, March 10th, yesterday, March 9th, the stock market just absolutely tanked. I mean, the Dow Jones was down 2000 points. I mean, they froze trading for 15 minutes as it hit one of the circuit breakers. It was just absolute mayhem. The other thing going on is the coronavirus continues. It's not really showing a lot of signs of slowing down. And particularly outside of China, it looks like it's getting worse in a lot of different countries, including Italy and Iran. And, you know, the U.S. is starting to pick up a little bit of steam. So there's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. There is. And, you know, as somebody who's traveling around, it starts to raise a lot of questions. You know, where do you want to be? There are countries that are starting to monitor who's coming in, say that people from certain countries can't come in, no matter if you have it or you're tested or whatever. They're just literally closing off certain passports, which is something to consider when you're traveling around. And so there are these pros and cons. And it starts been interesting as I'm thinking through, all right, what country do I want to be in is how you think about that country and the pros and cons and the benefits. And, you know, I think some people would assume, okay, it's maybe better to be in the U.S., but so far the U.S. had done a great job of managing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is weird now. Like we're in this nomadic situation. There's other people in our spot and we're like trying to choose like where we want to be. And it feels like there's a chokehold on countries right now, particularly on travel. So I was just looking, I was talking to Greg, our director of marketing, and he was supposed to go to the US for a conference. But Vietnam has just released something saying that, you know, in terms of like who they'll let into the country. And some of the limits are countries that have more than 500 confirmed cases and or countries that had more than 50 increase in cases in a single day. And the U.S. is over that 500 threshold. So like if he goes to the U.S., he might not be able to come home 
to Vietnam after this conference. And so, you know, we're not sure exactly how strictly they're following that or whether that's, you know, actually in practice right now being done. But, you know, like these are concerns we're starting to have. And we've got guys all around the world going to conferences and we're taking a hard look at that and trying to determine whether that needs to happen. Well, and it is interesting, especially as two pretty seasoned travelers. This is one of those times where I understand the statistics. You know, I was talking to a doctor buddy of mine who's in just a, a chat group with with some other friends from back in Chattanooga. And he was just saying like, hey, like it's a little bit overdrawn, like more people die from flu, and like blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Statistically, the odds are no matter what you do, you're not going to be uh, fall victim to it and, you know, age and all these different things. But the reality is this thing is spreading. It's new. We haven't seen anything like it that was moving this quickly all over the earth. Yeah. I, I, I had another friend that mentioned uh, that hasn't taken it as seriously, I think, you know, so far, and it was mentioning, well, even if it blows up and gets particularly bad, it still probably wouldn't be as bad, let's say, the opioid epidemic in the U.S., right? And okay, mm. even if that's true, right, you don't die from an opioid overdose by sitting down with someone for a coffee, Right. Like, you know, from, yeah. from some airborne yeah. disease, like it's totally different. Like you're making life choices that are, you know, particularly bad and heading down a path that would lead you to die from the opioid epidemic. But like, you know, this is it's different and definitely fear driving. Right. Like these are the types of things yep. where you start walking around and like looking at people going, oh, I mean, I, I'll stay a little ways away from you. I'll social distance. Like that's a really odd thing to do. I don't know if you've been doing that. I've been walking around in Vietnam thinking about this social distancing and how odd it is and how strange and like abnormal it is to actually implement. Yeah, well, I'm in South America, and they definitely have not gotten that memo yet. I think it's too ingrained in the culture. You know, this is is a place where where you're standing in line, like the person is just like literally touching your back. It's like, dude, come on. We don't have to stand this close together. So there's a lot less personal space. Or Brazil, (laughs) where they do like the kiss kiss or when you greet and like, oh, Oh, yeah, that's out. That's out. <laughs> no kiss for me. <laughs> I've even seen on on, so, yeah. on some TV shows in the US are not doing handshakes, they're doing like fist bumps and yeah. elbow bumps and that kind of thing. Like you're starting to see them uh like at least they're trying to like lead a charge, but it just it's wild, man. Let's talk about safe countries to be in. If you have the freedom mm-hmm. and kind of the mobility, where do you yeah. go? And like an obvious choice might be okay, well, you know, I'm American, you're American. Maybe we head back to the US, but I don't know. The U.S. hasn't seemed to take this terribly seriously, and there might be a lot more. I'm concerned that there are a lot more uh, infected in the U.S. than we currently know about. Yeah, I think that there's a situation where the U.S. is still trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do. So one of the things that is interesting is, you know, as you're for me traveling around, you hear stories from the U.S. One of the stories that my mom talked about was there's a town in Alabama close to Chattanooga, and they were trying to fly a bunch of the patients into a town there to kind of quarantine them and da 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 and the, they didn't even tell the town. Like, they were kind of making preparations in this hospital, and so the mayor's like, hey, what's going on? 
and then found out, oh, they're about to bring a bunch of the coronavirus people into this hospital. And he was like, no, like we will block the runway before y'all do that. So there are those kinds of things where even if you come up with a plan in the U.S., and this is one of the things we talked about before we jumped on, but even if you come up with a plan in the U.S., the way our government works, there's not this dictatorship or this ability just to overrule other governments yeah. take advantage of human rights. Yeah. yeah. China can like, you know, lock people in buildings and weld it shut, right? And just like lock them in for a bit. And like as draconian and terrible, you know, for human rights and other freedom of movement purposes, it's, you know, may actually help, you know, the not spread the coronavirus. And so like, you know, there's no way that would fly in the US. There's absolutely no, no way that would and work. It's actually a different extreme to the point of like they're welding people into a building and just doing outrageous things. And we can't even say, hey, we're going to put people in this hospital without a process and without, you know, getting it approved. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's a lot going on. I don't know how this is going to end up. I'm worried. I hope this is all, you know, much ado about nothing. I hope in six months, you know, three months even, we look back on this and go, oh, God, that was so silly. I'm worried that's not the case, but I really hope it is true. I really hope that is true. But, you know, with all of these kind of things going on, you know, there are a lot of concerns about business, right? I mean, there's, you know, I've seen people talk about there's a bit of a trade-off between health and the economy. And so, you know, the countries that are taking the health extremely seriously by, you know, even let's say going overboard and doing really kind of aggressive moves, like Italy kind of like locking down the country, you know, that's going to have a really negative effect on the economy, but it may save lives. And so this kind of trade-off is interesting to see like what these countries are doing. And there's some application, I think, to kind of online businesses and the things we're doing, right? Like how far are you willing to go, Ace, with your business to mm -hmm. tank your financial position to, you know, ensure the health of you and your family and that kind of thing? Yeah. In some of the businesses, so, you know, we've got one business that eventually could be really impacted by the fact that manufacturing, that, you know, just they're things that we cannot get from China anymore that are necessary for that business to even survive. Our yeah. manufacturer that's in China, just it's silent. Like there's just, I don't like, we have no, I like, are you out of business? Will you, you know, it's been very interesting, but you know, there are going to be some real business uh, issues that arise. I don't think it's just the stock market seeing the stock market go down like that. It's terrifying. And some people are like, oh, it's overblown. And maybe it is, but it's not just imaginary. And I think that's what some people think is that this is something that like, oh, people are overreacting and this is people are just getting sick and only, you know, 26 people have died. It's like, no, it has nothing to do with that. It, there are real business implications. Yeah, I'm gonna. By the way, for anyone that's you know hearing about this coronavirus and like, what are these guys? Why are they? Why it seems like way overblown. I'll put some links in the show notes. People can check out some legitimate sources and get a sense of kind of like what's going on and what we're talking about regarding our industry. I mean, I have to say, as of right now, we haven't seen much change at all in terms of people buying businesses and reviewing businesses. We're watching that pretty closely. Like we have our sales team on the front lines, kind of talking to people and getting a sense where they're at and what they're doing. And as of today, we haven't seen any changes, but I'm going to, you know, as soon as we hear anything, you know, I'm happy to mention on the podcast, we'll I'll definitely give it a shout on Twitter and kind of talk about where we see things. I think maybe some of that though, is because 
you know, some of the buyers, particularly in the U.S., aren't as focused on this as maybe Asia has been or certain parts of Europe have been. So, like, you know, if that kicks in, I wonder if that will affect their kind of decision making and buying online businesses. Yeah, and the truth is, you know, when you when you see what's going on with the stock market, it could be pretty appealing to say, "Hey, let me put some money into something that's not going to be affected as much by a market." You know, we're even when we're looking at the businesses, you know, uh, we've got businesses that are still just heavily on the uptrend. Uh, things like I could see things like affiliate marketing killing it, depending on how this whole thing goes and actually doing even better because people are more in their house. They're not going to go to the stock market. I mean, they're not going to go to the store anymore. The gaming industry. Gaming is going to be huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dry goods. <laughs> like, yeah, like there's a lot of things that could do well, not just in a down economy, but in a, you know, pandemic. Coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, where people are staying in, let's say, and ordering a lot of, you know, food for the home and like kind of long-term storage and security concerns. Yeah. So I did think, you know, when we're talking about industry risk, part of the industry is just the funds that are in the space. And obviously I've got one fund. And as a lot of this has happened, I expected to get a few phone calls from, you know, panicked investors that were worried about the portfolio. And maybe that is to come later. But number one, I think they're busy on the phone. Their financial advisors trying to figure out what to do with the stock market. I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But number two, I think there is a little bit of strength in being in a private asset as opposed to something that's publicly Mm. traded. So you don't feel that downside as harshly. So the question, yeah. So like you've just taken a hit, let's say in the public markets, like do you yank from your private investments? I mean, is that where you go if you need money or want liquidity? Do you yank out of your private or do you invest more is the other question, right? So am I looking to put it into something that isn't tied to kind of fear and worry in the stock market? Yeah, I guess we'll find out soon enough, (laughs) right? Yeah, I think in two thoughts on that are, Number one, I think it depends how far down it goes. We're already down like 2,000 points. You know, we may see a bounce up a little bit, but it's down a lot. I think if things get really dire, then people just are like, man, let me just get cash. I mean, everything that I've got out there, I need to pull in. But the other side of that is it's going to be interesting to see as the, if things do turn around, if people want to pull money from buying businesses, from you know doing more private equity investments, because there is this new opportunity in the stock market that I think for the last few years, people have felt like, hey, it's kind of at the top. Maybe it's going to continue to go up and it's done really well. But I think there's been this feeling of, okay, there's not a ton of opportunity there. Let me go look for Mm. some opportunity in other places. That's interesting. So yeah, so that we get all the way through the crash. Everyone's fine. I mean, fine with it. It's reasonably fine with it. They can be. And then they take money from private to put back in the public markets when we see you know, the reset button's been pushed and we're starting to kind of grow and pull out of it. And that's interesting. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I can see that happening. I think, you know, it's also worth mentioning that our industry is so new that there was an industry in the first, the first, in the the previous financial crisis. So Mm -hmm. there was an industry, there's nothing going on uh, around September 11th, right? And so we haven't, we haven't dealt with as an industry an economic downturn like it looks like we may have coming. And so we just really don't know how that's going to affect our market. 
Yeah, yeah. All of it is brand new. I think it's going to create some opportunities. It's probably for buyers, which we haven't been in a buyer market in a little while now. So that dynamic, it's just, it's just going to be very interesting to watch. I think so. And that, you know, that's something we said, I think, in the Empire Flippers in our kind of prediction episodes, like, you know, for the year, like we're talking about kind of what could happen. And we always caveat it with, if there's an economic downturn, here's kind of what we think. And I think it's worth saying here, too, is that, yeah, I mean, if that continues, then likely, you know, the people with cash are going to be king. And yeah. our thought is that, you know, and predictions are predictions, you know, we don't know. There's no crystal ball, but... Our prediction is, our estimate is that we'll have more businesses for sale. So a lot more people looking to sell their businesses. And because of that kind of optionality, us at Empire Flippers, we're going to have ProPrive to raise our vetting standards. So we're going to have like, in terms of like the average quality will likely be much higher. And our guess is that multiples would decline, right? So there'd be opportunity to buy because there's enough businesses for sale that, you know, buyers have some options. So yeah, cashed up buyers will be in, I think, a really good position should the economy continue to not do well over the coming months and even years. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, people talk about bubbles. I don't think our space is necessarily in a bubble, but I am seeing more sellers that just aren't in touch with even the current reality, like multiple high, but, you know, like thinking that you're going to get your five multiple on, <laughs> you know, this tiny business. It's just like there's getting to be a lot more of those folks that just aren't even in touch with the reality that is pretty high. Yeah. And that becomes one of those signs. I'm sure, you know, you probably get sellers in that, you know, just have higher expectations than what the market will. Yeah, we deal with that for sure. So we have to like reset expectations. I'd say more so like ours, I think our side of the industry, you know, the kind of like buying and selling of like six and seven figure businesses, I think is more reasonably priced. I think we're talking like the Silicon Valley types that are raising money on ridiculous valuations. I think, I think that may hurt. I mean, the money not be may dry up for them in particular, and, and they may be getting lower multiples going yeah. forward. But I, mean, I think if you're selling it, 3x i mean maybe you're at like two and a half or something like it's not going to be dramatic no. either way but i think there may be a hit as there's just more businesses becoming available right now i'd say at empire flippers particularly in q1 of this year we've had more businesses available but that's common trend it was the same thing last year and i believe the year before is that we have a lot more people going to list and submitting their business for sale in q1 so that's just kind of common mm -hmm. we don't see it being related to kind of the current woes in the market and with the pandemic. So yeah, I don't know, crazy yeah. stuff. Let's talk about buyer risks, particularly heading into kind of a down economy. What does that look like? What should buyers look out for in particular? So there are two parts to this. I mean, one of the things is looking at businesses that could be affected by the coronavirus. I think that that's a big buyer risk right now. You know, if you have stuff that's been manufactured in China, it just is something that you need to be aware of is, hey, how much product do you have right now? You know, if manufacturing did go down could you continue the business for six months or, you know, how's this going to impact the business? Supply change. Yeah. Supply chains. Yeah. yeah. I think that's become a more, much more important thing to look at than it has in the past. In fact, I don't think we've ever mentioned it as kind of a vetting or a due diligence requirement, but I, I think it's worth considering now. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's these kind of experiences that add to the due diligence list. Like people think, oh man, I've got the, this, I've got my due diligence. Like, dude, if you're not ever evolving, this has never been an issue before. But yeah, this will now permanently be on my due diligence checklist. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I may stay away from businesses that look like they may benefit short term. So, like for example, selling a business that's particularly doing well because, like, let's say in three months from now, I sold a, like a prepper business or something, right? Like I might get top dollar for that business then, but I don't know that that's going to be sustainable long, long term. So two, three years from now, how well is that site going to be doing? It might drop down significantly. So as a buyer, I may always stay away from things that are trendy and that are popular in the down market because it likely won't stay down forever, right? Exactly. I think that that's good. Or And when you guys are vetting deals right now, are you starting to implement any of that or is it more just like, Hey, you know, we'll talk to the buyer about it and let them make a decision. Uh, Yeah. We don't, in terms of vetting, we won't vet out by industry that we think like we won't put our projections on what we think might happen down. Like that's not, we just view that as like not really our place, right? That's not really our job. Makes sense. But like we want, you know, I I mentioned that to buyers because it should be theirs. (laughs) It's something they need to take into account. But I don't particularly yeah. care in selling the business. We're looking more at like, you know, is the seller a real person? Are their numbers legitimate? Do they really make the money they're claiming? Did they lie? Are there any black hat tactics they use that are kind of against, you know, terms of service that we're support? So like, those are kind of the things we're looking at vetting. Beyond that, we figure it's on the buyer's responsibility. The last thing I'll mention as far as buyer's risk is understanding that we don't know what we don't know yet when it comes to how a downturn will affect the industry. And so for those short-term buyers that are looking to flip, you know, one thing is, hey, what are the projections, like you mentioned, of the business and where that's going to be? But the other thing is, if you're not looking to hold the business and it's not going to be a forever business for you, that should impact how the business that you buy. And, you know, the, I do think that there are certain industries that, and, and business types like SaaS and those kinds of things that may hold on to their value, even if there is a kind of devaluation in the multiples. But just understanding that, and who knows, things could turn around. Like I've been shocked at how amazing the economy has been. And, but I think that it is something to consider that. Am I going to be happy holding on to this business if I can't in a year from now, two years from now, turn around and exit out of it? Hmm. I think there's also opportunity to like swallow up or buy up your competitors on the cheap. So depending Mm. on kind of what industry you're in and like how whether like buying competitors makes sense for your industry and kind of your business. But you might be able to buy some of them on the cheap because, you know, an economic downturn, if they take a 20% hit, that might be make or break for them. That might be, you know, heading towards putting them out of business. And so you may be able to snap them up, you know, in ways that you wouldn't have been able to should the bull market, you know, had the bull market continued. So there might be some yeah. interest there. Dom Wells from Onfolio put out a pretty interesting article about how a recession might affect the website investing space. Do you see that? I didn't. I didn't. What were his thoughts? Cool. Yeah, I'll share it. It's a lot of like, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for our listeners. But there's just a lot of like, you know, I don't know. And it depends, which of course, there there is like, there's just, there's a whole lot of that. But he does share, you know, some thoughts. He talks about, you know, why it might be harder to get SBA loans or just loans in general. Possibly a buyer's market would come out of this. What would happen with liquidity? But you know, ultimately, there's a lot of unknowns. And I think, 
I think that's the case. I mean, it's hard to make any like, you know, hard claims on how this is going to go, but I did want to at least share some of our thoughts on what we think might happen and get people thinking about ways they can look for opportunities in kind of this crazy world we're living in right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk seller risks. I think there's some interesting things to consider and people can start strategizing on the seller side as well. Yeah. So seller, I mean, it's tough because right now, let's say you go to list your business as best we can tell, nothing's really changed. So you should be able to sell your business should go through fine and multiples aren't affected right now. I don't know what's happened a couple months from now, a couple years from now, but right now you should be okay. That may change if all of a sudden everyone and their brother and sister is looking to sell businesses, right? You know, the more businesses listed, the more options buyers have, the less likely you are to sell and the more negotiation you're likely to deal with. I think that, you know, if you're going to sell, sell now, if things, let's say things continue to decline or kind of level off and things are not going well in the economy overall, money's tightened up, like lending's much harder, right? A lot of those things happen. I think that, you know, it's likely that multiples would go down. I think it'd be harder to sell your business. So that's one potential scenario. So if you can't see yourself holding on for the next couple of years to your business, exiting right now might be the better move. If you're willing to hang on to it and you still have more kind of growing to do and work to do, then seeing it through this kind of downturn cycle and selling on an upswing in the economy might be better for you. I also think because our industry is so early and so new that more financing options might be available in the future, maybe not the short term, but maybe in the midterm, uh, which you know may increase the multiple which your business would sell just overall. So hanging on for the next couple of years and allowing the market to mature has some real benefits too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's going to be three things. You know, number one, like you mentioned, if you're going to sell in the next two years, you need to sell now. It's not going to be, and that just is, even if things don't get as bad as they could, it's just not going to get better. So you might as well sell now, regardless if you feel like you can grow the business and the key there with you think you can grow the business is you think you can grow the business in a recession, which is going to be. <laughs> that is the a, key. Ace. You're, that yeah. is the key. <laughs> it's like you need to be able to grow it in a recession. So it's not going to be whatever you've been experiencing the last three, four years. It's going to be a totally different environment. So I think there's probably a lot of people that should be considering a sale. I think the second part of this that's going to have a big impact is one of the things that tightens up really quickly in a down economy is lending across the board, whether it's real estate, cars, you know, just regular individual personal loans, all that stuff starts to tighten up, credit card offers. And so SBA will definitely be affected. We don't know how much, but the interesting thing is that you're still dealing with humans in SBA. So there could be policies and things like that uh, cause that to tighten. But the other side of that is you just have a underwriter that is watching the news as well, that's reading the newspaper as well, that's in meetings where you know they're talking about other banks' loans that are having issues. And so they're still coming to the underwriting with that mentality. And I think that people discount that. They don't understand that you know there is a human that's signing off on that that's affected by the same things that every other citizen is affected by. 
And that's part of where that downturn comes from, where they're just like, man, like things are bad. Like, I don't want to take this risk. And they're coming in with this sense of, hey, and when the economy's been, especially the last 10 years, one of the impacts has been those underwriters are coming to their desk and they're underwriting with that perspective of, man, everything's booming, everything's making money. Yeah, let's give this guy a loan. Of course, this thing's going to make money selling the Chotskis on the internet. So I think regardless of even policy changes, that's going to come down. And then the third thing to consider is in that competitive environment, uh, when you've got more sellers that are coming to market, you're competing with other sellers, and then there are fewer buyers that, number one, maybe even there are still number that want to buy, but fewer buyers that are now able to get loans to be able to buy those businesses. You've got to come to the table a lot more creative and you've got to make sure that everything is in tip-top shape from a due diligence perspective because those things that skated by before, just because it's a very competitive environment, now the whether it's the bank's underwriter or the buyer, everything's going to get scrutinized at another level. Yeah, I think some amount of seller financing. So this is a tricky one, right? So I don't think you're going to see seller financing in deals under 100, even still. I, I still think there's going to be enough people with cash that are buying those businesses up, snatching them up, and there's going to be no financing for buyers. At, on $40,000 businesses. You know, let's say four or $500,000 business. I mean, there may be a bit more of that. I would warn sellers, though, to try to limit that, right? Because particularly in a business where you don't hold any leverage, right, to get those payments, because there, you know, there's a chance that they're not going to pay. And particularly if the economy stays bad or the buyer screws up the business, which does happen, you know, getting those payments, you know, from the buyer might be more and more challenging. So just know that what, however you're going into it, that if you be okay, if you didn't receive any of those finance payments, understand that that's a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that you need to pay attention to. And, you know, it's going to be, a lot more involved. And I think there are sellers right now that have gotten away with not even having to do a lot of uh, training and helping the buyer, but just all of these little things become more important because even if you're looking at it and saying, hey, I can't grow this business in a recession, you're still selling that business to somebody else. There's probably going to be some seller financing or earnout involved. Yeah. And you they've got to deal with that. <laughs> so you've got to get them up to speed and they're not as good as you. So you've got to get them up to speed if you want to get your money out. You're going to be dealing with that to some degree for sure. Let's talk a little bit about how we view risks in our business. Now, I, you know, one of the things I feel I'm very thankful for and I'm very happy about is that, you know, in 2019, at Empire Flippers, one of our goals was to kind of like grow the business. I think we grew 50-ish percent. That was kind of our goal, and we came really close to our annual goal. And we did that without adding a whole bunch of costs. So we didn't you know, add staff hardly at all. I think just replacing people in 2019. So we really wanted to improve our margins and like get lean and mean and heavily profitable through 2019 and then go back to kind of scaling and growth in 2020. Very happy we did that in Q1 of 2020 with everything that's going on. We still have plans to grow in 2020. I don't see the negative effects in our market, but you know, the fact that we're in much better shape because of the actions we took in 2019 were helpful. And I think part of that had to do with Joe and I going through the financial crisis in 2008. Like a lot of the people that work for us haven't, like a lot of them are younger and they weren't in business or working through that and don't really know what that feels like, right? Whereas Joe and I really do. And so we were a bit more fearful, a bit more concerned about downturns in the economy than they have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just 
give a hand to 2019. You guys really killed it. It's awesome being able to just watch the numbers grow. And I love, you know, for those of you who don't know, head over to Empire Flippers. They do a full accounting, basically, of, you know, where the income's coming in, how they're growing. And so, you know, we've been able to be spectators and watch you guys grow. But that is tremendous to grow that much in a year and not at cost. It's just absolutely unreal. Thanks, so congrats man. on that. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it, buddy. I think what's interesting about your business is you're not staff heavy. Like you don't have heavy payroll, which means you're much more able to survive a down. Tell me about your staff and what that kind of looks like. You have a lot of contractors, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So Direct employees, actually, so even my, I've got two kind of direct employees. I used to have five. We just took three of those and it's been a very cool thing. So I'm helping them start businesses essentially. So one of them is basically kind of my CFO and he was working on my stuff and, you know, he's a CPA and just helping with a lot of different businesses. And I'm like, dude, like these other businesses are kind of your clients. Let's create this LLC and I'll even invest in the LLC, but you'll do my stuff and I'll just pay you a rate to your company. And then you can work with these other folks individually. And then even my direct person that's worked with me, shout out to Louise, like we're basically making him a company where he helps a lot of the other businesses that are in the portfolio. So now I'm down from five to basically two that kind of do personal assisting stuff and just, you know, just random things for me. Uh, so you're breaking those I'm, guys I'm, out I'm into, into basically they're separate companies. You're invested and involved in those deals, but they're going to, you're going to be a client and kind of an investor and be involved in their company, but you're kind of branching it out to where they're separate companies. Exactly. Exactly. What's the purpose? Like, why would you do that? So one is empowering them, mm-hmm. which, you know, they've been with me for a while. So empowering them to become entrepreneurs in kind of this almost entrepreneur type of thing where it's like, all right, you don't have to go out and go figure out something else to do. It's, you know, we can do that internally. The second part, though, is I don't really want employees. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the other part is like, hey, like I want to deal with, you know, when I want to deal I don't really want a bunch of employees that are searching for my deal. You know, I have my clients that search for deals and then they bring them in and and I pay them really well. And, but we're more like partners than employees or I'm coming to you as, you know, a partner to say, Hey, like we want to buy this kind of deal. So in every aspect, I want partners, joint ventures. I want to be a client of a business and, you know, kind of be working with another, my business work with another business. And it's a lot of it is just a personal preference. You yeah. know, it's not anything super strategic. It's funny, Joe and I talk about like, you can't build a real business. I'm doing the air quotes, you can't see, but we can't build a real business like without people. And I think that holds true. I think your kind of like workaround for that is to do it through contractors to do it through business partners to do it through clients like it's kind of a mishmash of you have a team but it's more more distributed and less like employee employer relationship which you know you still have a network and i think you still need to use that network it's very unique i don't know that i could do it that well we've funny ace we, we look for opportunities where we can kind of take people that work for us and have them kind of branch out and, and set up businesses and we've tried a couple that 
worked a little bit and or didn't work, but we haven't been terribly successful with that. That's something we definitely want to get on again. I have some thoughts, but I don't want to I'll share them if or when we do it and kind of like talk about kind of how that's going. But, you know, having some employees kind of step into roles where we now partner with them. I'm interested in doing it. We just haven't had the best track record of doing it. Yeah, it's something that I've had a long time to perfect. You know, probably the first decade of my career buying businesses, it was all employees. I owned the business directly. You know, at one point had over 50 employees between all offline businesses, which that was probably the thing that got me. It's like, okay, I got to figure out how to not have employees. And that's been kind of the last thing. It's like, okay, how can I create this situation? And so this has been more of a 10-year process of putting those people in place. And it could be that, you know, I hope that partners in these deals that, you know, I'm clients of their business, I want them to grow and have a ton of employees. But it's interesting even within the portfolio businesses, there's still all these employees that are making things happen, sure, yeah. but it's just not a direct employee to me. For yeah, you. You're right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. My buddy, Mark Brenwall, uh, shout out to Mark. What's up, buddy? Uh, he doesn't want employees, right? He's just not a fan. And like people have told him, look, I mean, you're giving up growth. If you do this and you hire these people, you could expand your business this way. He's like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to expand my business if it requires me you know, building and running a team. He's just not interested. And I get that. I think it's really good, you know, as an entrepreneur to kind of like know what your interests are and what you're, what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And if that's something you really don't want to do, like, don't do it. I mean, ultimately, and I truly believe this is that, you know, we're building businesses that we want to be a part of, that we want to work in, that we want to run. And those businesses need to, to some degree, serve our interests. Right. And yes. not the other way around. Like, you know, I don't have to go do something because the business needs to get fed. Right. Like the business needs to feed me, needs to feed my business partner, needs to feed our team now. And, you know, it should work for our interest. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to remember that, but then to actually put it into practice. Cause I found that to be like a, you know, a driving piece to our happiness, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And it just becomes another rat race, to be quite candid. Like if you end up in a business where you're doing the things that you're just supposed to do as the business owner, that you're supposed to have these employees, you're supposed to be trying to grow. You know, I love when I meet a lot of sellers who are just like, yeah, like I had these opportunities, but that wasn't me. I didn't create the lifestyle that I wanted. And, you know, that's the purpose of all this is to create the life you want, not create a dream bank account. (laughs) True. Exactly, man. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up, buddy. Let's uh, end this episode of the Web Equity Show. If you're listening to this and you're digging the show, please drop us a line and a review on your favorite podcast app to let us know what you think. And we'll make sure to give you a shout on one of our future podcast episodes. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you in the next episode. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. Thank you.